and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hey, everyone. Hey, Quinn. Hello, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Guess what? What? We're in the same room right now. Yes, we are. But what? guess what else? <laughs> what? We're talking into two different microphones, because guess who finally established a semi-professional setup? Uh, Quinn did. That's who. Two years into my career, guys. Live your dreams. <laughs> but I am quite pleased with this state of affairs, and I'm feeling good. It's the first week of the new semester, and as always, I am filled with optimism and joy uh, that will be crushed out of me in a couple weeks when I am a couple weeks behind on all my readings and assignments. But for now, feeling good. Well, the uh, resident libertarian here has to take a class where she has to read the Communist Manifesto. Okay, I know for a fact this is an elective you're taking. Yes, but still. (laughs) I do have to take it for my minor, though. Okay. Is this class specifically listed on your requirements list? It is one of two classes that I can take this semester. Jillian has, is voluntarily reading the Communist Manifesto. Okay. Oh, my God. You know what? It's fine. It's going to be a good experience for me. Sometimes you just need to know how other philosophers think so you have more knowledge to crack down on their arguments. That is accurate, though. That's, like, a pretty effective thing to do. Mm-hmm. Know the rules so you can break them efficiently and effectively. I don't really think the Communist Manifesto counts as rules, but whatever, that's kind of beside the point. (laughs) For my part, I'm taking theater classes this semester, which means I'm taking another directing course and a design for theater course, which is I don't do design at all. Uh, And so this is going to be a very interesting experience. And then I'm also taking a English history sort of class that's about... um, plays and musicals from like the 40s and 50s which is a really interesting period in uh, American theater tradition so pretty excited for all of that yeah when Quinn told me about this though she was like oh yeah like I'm taking like a visual arts kind of class thing and I was like but she said it as if like she was bad at that sort of thing but I'm like Quinn Quinn is just a very aesthetic person this is inaccurate. This is very accurate. They also, I had to draw twice just in the intro class, the intro class period, and this is not a good sign for the rest of the course, but it just, it's very, very interesting, and I feel like taking theater courses has kind of taught me to walk towards the thing that scares me, and so I'm going to give this a shot. Hopefully it'll work out. It's just funny, because like, if we ever had to plan an event and the question was like, what should we do here? Quinn would be like, oh, what's going to look the best? What's going to like make people the most happy when they see it? And mine would be like, let's cut costs. <laughs> Actually, let's just not have the event. We'll save more money. <laughs> so I'd like to start off our topics for the week by sharing a behind the scenes story on the making of mixed feelings, which is we mentioned before, we just have this giant Google Doc that we um, put our stuff in and link stories and whatever. And I logged on today, this morning, and Jillian had just written in all caps, Ugh, I don't know. I've been looking at new stuff, but they haven't found anything super interesting. And I responded calmly, Jillian, the government literally shut down. <laughs> the government has closed and opened again since the last time we recorded a podcast. You say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> 
Okay. It is objectively a bad thing. <laughs> I was like, this is a dream come true a la Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. I mean, it came back in just a couple of days, though, so. Ugh, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem was more like all the people who weren't getting paid during that time might have been, you know, the objectively bad thing that I'm alluding to. I cannot argue with that. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> But yeah, the government shut down. Um, I still, I've read many articles about this and the, the concept of a government shutdown in general. I, I mean, it, there was a big one that happened in 2013. And so I've been aware of it for a while. I still don't really understand why, why this happens. I, I mean, I, I like understand the technical mechanics, but not the like the higher level question of why, uh, because it's just you can't why can you just decide to shut it down when the government shut down back in like 2013 and had that whole thing i really liked it because there were so many great government pickup lines that we talked about before yeah we referenced this a little bit i don't even know why but um it actually happened now so it's a full topic here we go (laughs) but yes the government shut down and it was over i mean so how this works TLDR version um, is in the U.S. governmental system, there is this mechanic where we have to vote. Well, not we. Congress has to vote on funding um, and like funding for the country for the new year. And if they cannot decide by a certain date, they have to sign short term funding into existence. And then if they can't decide on that, um, and there's just no consensus to be had. And I think it's, I believe it's 60 votes in the Senate. If they can't get 60 votes in the Senate, um, for example, for the new bill, then the president has to declare a government shutdown. <laughs> and so that's what happened here. The thing is, it wasn't even on like a huge funding bill. It was on one of the short-term funding bills, which means even though we've opened back up already, in another two weeks, this could all happen again because no agreements have really been struck at all in a long-lasting or really meaningful way. But we did manage to know, uh, leave hundreds of thousands of people out of a job for a few days and push off paychecks and be furloughed. So great job, guys. We said that the government is up, back and running, but that, of course, is subject to change um, after 14 days. So we shall see. Subject to change on whether or not Jillian rises up in a libertarian anarchist republic anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) The particular issue that they're fighting over this time, when it happened in 2013, it was over funding for the Affordable Care Act, uh, which is unsurprising. And then, but also unsurprising, the big issue of this time was uh, immigration, um, specifically questions about the wall... (laughs) my least favorite thing, and then also questions about uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DACA um, and whether or not DACA is going to get funded in the future. And so these questions were kind of left out there. Uh, The Republicans chose... So there wasn't funding for either DACA, which is, um, if you're not familiar with it, is for when uh, children are brought to the United States illegally at a very young age and then have lived here for a certain amount of time. There was this program called DACA um, and that they could... It was not a path to legal citizenship, but it was um, safety from deportation and a certain amount of uh, papers and certifications so they could go to school, get jobs, and stuff like this. Um, So relative safety in the country. And then there's also CHIP, which is the Children's Health Insurance Program, um, which uh, the funding for that was let to lapse several months ago. 
And so um, the big conflict ended up being the Republicans were sort of holding these two programs hostage, or more accurately, like holding CHIP hostage for letting go of DACA. And so the argument was that um, Democrats should let go of the DACA funding in order to fund CHIP. And the Democrats were like, why can't we fund both? And again, very simplified version. But um and so there was a lot of conflict about these kinds of issues, and then they couldn't come to an agreement, and the government shut down. Yes, because that seems like a great solution to all problems. Eh, we can't really handle it right now, so we're just gonna we're just gonna cancel everything. So basically, after three days, Trump signed a bill to end the government shutdown. Um, but the only thing that this really does is just pushes the issue. F- again, back two more weeks. So there's no real solution here. Yeah, the agreement was negotiated with some of the more moderate members of the Senate, um, including Susan Collins of Maine, who tends to be a leader in these kinds of things. It is funny. They're all like congratulating themselves for ending the shutdown. And it just comes off pretty funny when you think about it. Because it's like, that's that's when you knock something over and then you congratulate yourself for picking it up. Like, you you caused this problem in the first place. Quinn had a much funnier analogy before when she was like, this is like when I congratulate myself after writing a paper in three hours, even though I had two weeks to write the paper. Yeah, basically, it's like, I've engaged in this self-destructive behavior, but then I brought myself out of it. And it was like, well, but didn't you do this to yourself in the first place? Could you maybe self-reflect on yourself for a few minutes? Shh, details, details. So now they've come to a very tenuous agreement, which I cannot stress enough how much this just kicks the can down the road for about two more weeks um, until we do it all again, maybe. But a bit of a tenuous agreement that basically at one point boiled down to Mitch McConnell saying, hey, I promise we'll fund DACA, and the Democrats were like, okay. And... that is a simplified version of what happened, but really? Is that, that's the trust you're going to go with? He can't even guarantee that. Like, there's a house. That's, that we have two branches. That's a whole thing. Yeah, so making promises in government is really not that viable of a, of a thing to do, just because, you know, if it doesn't pass in one place, it might not pass in another place. It's just, it's a disaster, is essentially what's going on. Um, and they agreed to... I think, what, they're safe until February 8th? I think it's maybe February 4th, something like that. It's early February. Yeah, and I guess this just goes to show that, or how important bipartisanship is when it comes to getting literally anything done. I mean, this is really the culmination of what we've been seeing for, I mean, especially the last year, but in the last several years of just extreme partisanship and not working to do big deals there is this this whole idea that presidents are always like oh i'm gonna make these big bipartisan deals um that that benefit the people of this country and that work across the aisle and all this stuff and people really don't do that anymore it's pretty rare um that these kinds of things are actually worked out and especially not now when we're so extraordinarily divided Mm -hmm. yeah like the separation between both parties right now is pretty stark and it's not a great look but to be fair though like you know me i'm always about (laughs) not no government intervention um but the stuff that they're dealing with right now like low-income children's health insurance and obviously daca like these are things i could get behind 
Yeah, these are things that impact millions of people's lives in real time, you know? And honestly, it's atrocious that CHIP has been left unfunded for this long and that now it's being used as a bargaining chip in this fight. I get it? (laughs) Bargaining chip? (laughs) That was an accidental pun. (laughs) I think it was a great pun, Quinn. Thank you. But no, it really is just, this is, because I mean, that that's the kind of program that helps millions of children and they should not be used for political gain or political bargaining just ever just anything they should just be kids this has been a tldr version of our government is barely functioning brought to you by quinn and jillian (laughs) i love how we always have the or at least we have some aspect of government down um as a topic of discussion because you know stuff happens every day but i just think it's funny how like at the end of every conversation we're just like and it's not working so stay tuned for more disasters i will tell you though when i saw the news about the government shutdown one of my first thoughts was it's really unfortunate how determined they are to give us material for this podcast just every week every week there's stuff when i first saw this i was like ha yes finally my plan can come through a new government rises from the ashes jk jillian just takes over no 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 no. yeah i don't agree with that either so it's fine (laughs) no 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 no. (laughs) i mean we are joking about it but it is it's pretty serious in a lot of different ways and i mean especially when you look at places other places in the world um like for venezuela for example is making a lot of headlines this week because um they're shifting even they were it was looking perhaps like they, they would head towards a more democratic system and um, there's a rapid shift away from that as they just announced another, as they just announced that they would be having an election, which that sounds democratic, but it's a very non-democratic election. And um, and they so they are continuing in that pattern, even though our government is not doing great. And I don't have 100% faith that we will make it through this completely intact government wise. I have 0% faith. I have no faith. All faith is gone. Yeah, it's really bleak out here. Uh, but at least we're still holding on to some democratic notions. Oh, speaking of democracy, though, shout out to Florida, where there were enough um, signatures on initiatives so that there is a ballot measure to um, restore voting rights to uh, a million former felons. I think it's 1.5 million, million yeah. people qualify for this. So that's a pretty cool thing. Um, it's legal. In some states, it's legal to vote if you have previously committed a felony and serve your time. In some states, it is not. And so they are moving to... Uh, put that um, on the ballot and try to restore voting rights to people. This obviously could be a whole topic, and I forgot about it, so I didn't put it on the topic list before now, but I just wanted to to give a general shout-out to, like, that happening um, and that even being on the ballot, I think, is an interesting democratic step. Um, and also clarification that this measure excludes those who have um, committed murder or sexual assault. So that's an important feature of that as well. So I think it's interesting. Florida people, check your ballots. Think about it. Um, and speaking of sexual assault, guess who's going to be in jail for 150-something years? I hate that that's a transition that we were able to do. But yes, actually, I mean, it's hard to call anything good, but this is good news, is uh, Larry Nassar is going to jail, like, forever. So basically, this guy also had charges, this is a gymnastics coach who also had charges of child pornography against him, but then... Um, hundreds of women stepped forward saying how he sexually harassed them, he touched them inappropriately, um, and basically what happened, what ended up happening was that the U.S. Gymnastics and um, Michigan State University tried to cover all of this up. 
Yeah. Um, well, clarification, this is not a gymnastic coach. It was a physician. So this was a doctor, um, which explains why he had access to all these girls and why he had access to so many girls. Um, and yeah, he molested just hundreds of people over the course of his career. And um, people have been coming forward in different ways for a long time. And like I said, uh, and like you said, I mean, they have reportedly um, been suppressed by various agencies. Um, a lot of these women have claimed that, um, like, they reported to Mich- Michigan State or you say gymnastics, and these mm-hmm. organizations uh, covered it up. But um, finally, in the past few years, they've really pushed for him, and enough people have come forward that he was tried criminally and really dramatically sentenced to. The full sentence is 40 to 175 years in prison. Um, And that's not even including his child pornography charges, which have yet to be sentenced, I believe. Yeah, so this guy is not going to ever see the light of day again, which is good. Great. Um, Good news. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And also, yeah, I misspoke earlier. This was actually, um, Quinn was right, this is actually a doctor. And I think Allie Raceman actually had this really moving story about how Basically, he, like, touched her inappropriately and said he was, like, doing it because, like, I don't know, health... I don't know. It's just... It's just crazy, the misabuse of power here in this dynamic. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, a lot of these gymnasts um, uh, started when they were very young um, or even if they were just teenagers or in college. And then he would tell them that this was for health reasons, um, which is just a despicable lie on top of everything else. And um, a lot of them, of course, were left completely traumatized, um, unable to deal with it, and uh, and left in a system that provided no real support for what they were going through, or even believed them when they were, for what they were going through. And so, the culmination of all of this was the judge um, Rosemary Acalina allowed, I believe, it was over a hundred and fifty women um, and girls to come forward and share their testimonies, which is a lot, a lot of people. Um, and they sat in court and they listened to these 150 testimonies, um, before he was sentenced. And two things. Number one, these girls are incredibly brave for doing this because testifying in court is hard enough, obviously, but then also like the fact that a lot of them had reached out and asked for help, but then were completely shut down. So again, like going out on a limb and unfortunately maybe expecting another something else like that to happen where their views and their voices are not heard and also apparently during all of this he was just like sitting and um the guy was sitting and looking sad and obviously like blowing his nose and just wiping tears and holding his head in his okay relax let's not make it dramatic here you are a terrible human being yeah, he didn't face any kind of justice until Rachel Den Hollander went public to the Indie Star back in September of 2016. And instead of trying to go through these systems that were supposed to be protecting these girls, um, she went public with it and went to the press. And eventually enough stories came out that they were able to charge him and force him to... Now he's, again, going to go to prison for a super long time, forever, for the rest of his life. And I think what just what really bothers me about this is that it's like, oh... Yeah, they had to bring. They had to actually address this because enough women came up. No, this should have just come up after the first person. You know, like it just makes me so angry that this is what we're dealing with. Yeah, I think that if 
the first person who reported this had been taken seriously and he had been removed and punished at that time, then hundreds of girls would never have had to suffer. Mm-hmm, yeah, because this was definitely a longitudinal situation. Like, this did not happen overnight. And this is just the kind of person, like, it's he's such a cartoon villain. I mean, it's obviously it is good that he is being sentenced and that he is going to prison for the rest of his life. But it's it's hard to even be like, oh, this is a victory for us when he's just like so blatantly evil and horrible. Um, like, I don't, is there nuance here? Uh, I mean, well, people are talking about the judge, which we can get to in a second of that conversation. But um, it is very much good that he is being removed from this position of power, that he won't be able to hurt people anymore, um, that he's being punished for what he's done. Uh, but it's also just like, we really can't punish people until it gets to this point. Is that where we're at as a society? Yep, apparently so. But yeah, I just alluded to the judge um, who I mentioned before, Judge Jacqueline, and um, she uh, has a little bit of a flair for the dramatic, and um, she said, quote, I've just signed your death warrant. I find that you don't get it, that you're a danger, that you remain a danger. Because he also wrote this letter about how he had been coerced into pleading guilty and that his he was a good doctor and all this stuff and she was like well clearly you are still a horrible dangerous society and you should be locked up for the rest of your life and she's right um a couple people took issue with apparently like how she said this i guess is the argument i mean i guess in a way it kind of diminishes her you know her stance on supposed to, supposed to be like this figure of being unbiased and things like that. Um, but I mean, I think she, honestly she's just stating the obvious. Well, I can see that point of like, oh, judges are supposed to be, you know, unbiased or whatever. I mean, first of all, at this point she is decreeing him guilty, which is kind of like at the point we're allowed to be like, this definitely happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that is the trust that we put in the justice system is like this decision we've made as a society. So there's that. Um, and there's also, like, it just, again, cartoon villain th- this guy is. It's not like it was a nuanced case or that there was really much deliberation that had to happen. I think that if any case is going to require this flair for the dramatic, perhaps it's this one. Mm-hmm. And, yep, so hopefully we will never have to hear about him again because he is awful and we hate him. And hopefully all of the women and girls who have suffered at his hands can seek out help and therapy and counseling and that they'll be able to recover from what he did to them, especially now that they know that he won't be able to hurt anyone else. Related to this story, though, there was a feature in the New York Times this week about uh, the Me Too movement in China because they've had a bit of a parallel movement to us, but it's different in a lot of ways um, because not only um, is Chinese culture very male-dominated and traditional, there's also literal censorship on behalf of the government. And so um, literally hashtags and movements are being censored from the internet, which of course makes it a lot more difficult to get traction for things like the Me Too movement. Um, or I don't think, I, th- I think there was a hashtag that was like Me Too China, um, and that was blocked on certain platforms and things like this that make it a lot more difficult to share stories and to organize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so not only do they have this political or, like, legal barrier blocking them from really making an impact with their their hashtags, because, like, webs, like, entire websites are banned. I think Facebook is banned there, right? Or it was at a point? 
I think a lot of mainstream social media websites are also banned in China, but they have like their own, um, they have their own sites that they use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just there's also just such this rich cultural um, culture behind this, where um, in in China and in other Asian cultures, like it is very frowned upon to ever talk about anything that's happened to you personally. Like it's just a very private. Um, everything's just treated as a very private manner, and I think the issue of sexual sexual assault is always like hush hushed in these cultures because um, it's there's there's just this intense, I guess, stigma around sexual assault and sexual activity in general, let alone sexual assault. So again, being again being able to talk about this in China, not only do you have to worry about the political. Um, and legal ramifications of trying to participate in this movement, but you also have to worry about possibly, like, even um, clap back from your own family. That's an incredibly scary atmosphere, because that does, I mean, if that has happened in the United States, and, well, like, especially with families who have, you know, um, this kind of heritage and tradition, but, I mean, in all places and in all cultures, there's going to be families that are like that, but when it's so pervasive, um, as the overriding culture and you there are of course like counter movements in china the same way there's counter movements everywhere but they haven't gotten as much um mainstream attention and mainstream support as they're currently getting in places like the united states and the uk and it's just very dangerous Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like it's just it's crazy that china you know is such a big country and yet like it how easy it is to feel so alone even though obviously this is something that's happening to so many girls. And of course, there are activists in China as well who are pushing back on this and trying to speak out um, and help people feel less alone. Um, Like Jiang Chongwen, who was uh, assaulted at her university and um, she was told to remain silent and to not go public and to hide it so that that, uh, her reputation would not be ruined, but she ended up choosing after suffering from severe mental health problems to go public with it and post an essay online about it. And then she ended up getting um, both him fired, uh, the person who assaulted him, and the dean who tried to cover it up um, fired and had a real tangible effect on um, being able to enact consequences for these kinds of things. So there's definitely stuff that is happening out there. Wow, imagine someone being held responsible for their own negative actions. This is groundbreaking. I mean, really, across the world, the more things change, the more they stay the same. These are the same patterns that we're seeing over and over again. There's just added, not even added, just like different cultural elements. I mean, okay, censorship is pretty much an added on top feature that is just a a, a new obstacle. Um, but all these different cultural elements work together in different ways, but it it has the same effects of um, a patriarchal society that doesn't lend the support in these systems that have been dominated by men for so long. Speaking of that, um, I mean, to round this topic out uh, with one more quick story, there was this big case in the UK where a reporter went over, undercover at this giant charity gala auction thing that was for men only and apparently hired i think it was 150 hostesses their their job requirement they had to be tall thin and hot 
Um, and they were hired to put on really skimpy clothes and walk around and serve drinks and let men harass them and grope them. And this was a like a real thing that was attended by a lot of really rich, influential men um, as they participated in this absolutely disgusting activity. And it's a, I'm going back to the cartoon villain thing. It's like with all of these things that we talk about, these subtle, nuanced systems and the way they work together and and then there's stuff like this, which is just puts it all out on display so explicitly. Yeah, and also what really got to me was like the fact that um they would keep track of the women like where they were and made sure that like they weren't in the bathroom for too long or something. Yeah, they were making sure that the women weren't hiding basically. They had to be out there. They took their phones away. Um so like once they got out there, they were trapped. Yeah essentially i just it's so blatant like just ridiculously but you would think that even maybe this year in today's culture some someone would have thought maybe this isn't a great idea but nope no fear no fear whatsoever of any repercussions continued on with this despicable event and this is like this was a huge event like there were 300 people in attendance like the amount of work that had to be put into this to like orchestrate it and to plan it and it just has so many steps like so- something like this can't just happen overnight and not once during this entire thing was anyone like hmm maybe we should second guess our choices it's also this isn't just something that happened to happen um with the guests and the hostesses it was the the whole thing was started with the announcement welcome to the most un-pc event of the year and the establishment and the people there actively worked to make this the environment and to make sure that they were harassing and assaulting these women over and over again. The The amount of disrespect for other human beings you have to have to participate in this kind of thing is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I mean, intent is everything, right? So like, this is just absolutely awful. But all props to Madison Marriage, who is the financial times reporter who went undercover and busted this story open and has since gotten several people fired and um there was like a government official there and Theresa may had to make a statement about it and um this is having some repercussions pretty quickly for some important people and i hope it continues to for a long time mm-hmm. and she was like really cool about the- well I-, I don't want to say cool because it's like how can you be cool about the situation but um she was really selfless when people were like oh well like what about you like what did you experience and she was like well yeah obviously I've like I was groped and like people said like awful things to me but like I don't want to focus on myself like I want to focus on the other women who were involved I feel like when you know that you're there as a reporter and um of course it's still hard to go through that but you have this layer of protection that you you understood a little bit of what you were getting into I mean she they obviously didn't know but she understood that this could happen um whereas a lot of the other people there were like students and um models or something like people who are struggling to make ends meet and were picking up a little bit of extra money just doing this like one night job and really had no idea no preparation for what was about to happen and no external protection of knowing that like this is a story i'm about to write that is going to get all these people in trouble they had no way of knowing that um repercussions were coming Mm -hmm. which obviously makes the entire night seem that much longer Oh boy, I can't even imagine. I, it sounds like a nightmare. 
So as someone who has been studying and thesising during this time, I've turned to Netflix actually to sort of cope with all of this emotional, mental pain that I've been going through. Um, and I've been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy. And the main actress, Ellen Pompeo, who has built her entire career off starring as the protagonist of the show Grey's Anatomy, uh, Meredith Grey, she actually is such an incredible woman because she's had to deal with so much sexism in her career, especially with regard to the amount of money she was getting paid, as opposed to her male co-star, um, Patrick Dempsey, who was paid more than her, even though the name of the show was not, you know, McDreamy's Anatomy or the name of his character or whatever, but Grey's Anatomy. So that just goes to show that success uh, sexism is still very much a systemic thing in Hollywood. The interview is delightful, though. I'd recommend that everyone read it um, because she just clearly doesn't care about anything and says whatever she wants, which is the best. But yeah, she really held this leverage and she was like, this is a I am earning a ton of money for you. And this is a job that takes me away from my kids. And she doesn't even seem to like it particularly much. She really likes Sondra Rhimes, though, because I mean, who wouldn't? Um, And so she's like, so you better pay me a lot of money. And they did. And she's the highest paid actress in television now. It is always a little bit ridiculous. It, it, there's a part of my brain that always thinks it's a bit ridiculous to talk about these kinds of things because it's like, oh, no, the movie star made less money than the other movie star, whereas, you know, there's a lot of people who are working under minimum wage jobs or minimum wage jobs and just struggling to make ends meet and put food on the table. But at the same time, yes, it's completely ridiculous and, you know, class warfare and stuff, um, viva la revolution – but if we do have these ridiculously overpaid movie stars, they shouldn't be this huge disparity between men and women. Mm-hmm. And also, I love the fact that she was raised Irish Catholic, fun fact. Um, but she, again, said that she always felt, like, self-conscious. She was like, am I asking for too much? Like, I don't want to be greedy. And she said how when Patrick Dempsey left the show in 2015, that this was just did wonders for her career because she finally, you know, got up the... I'm courage to say, hey, like, this isn't fair. Like, I'm not being paid the amount of money I should be paid. As a quick aside, this also relates to a story we didn't really talk about, which was um, the news that came out about All the Money in the World, um, which is that movie they had to reshoot when they took Kevin Spacey out of it. Good times. Um, and apparently, uh, Matt Damon got paid, like, over a million dollars to participate in these reshoots. And the, his co-star, Michelle Williams, got paid like $1,000 to participate in the reshoots because she was told they were donating their time. And she was like, yeah, of course, this is a good cause. I'll donate my time for this. And Matt Damon's people were like, no, um, you're going to pay him. And they did. And they didn't tell her about it. And that's they just a ridiculous wage gap. Um, and <laughs> the entire news is absurd. Everything is absurd now. I hate but, everything. Fair. But I'm glad that in this case... Um, someone is actually getting paid what they deserve, or at least what they deserve relative to the other people in the industry that they're working in. Also, yeah, like how Quinn mentioned before, she was just so sassy in her interview. She was like, yeah, like, this is my job. Like, my career is off TV. Like, this is the only thing I'm doing. I'm not going to be Julia Roberts and have a successful movie career after this. (laughs) And I was like, ugh, Ellen, you are beautiful. And also, I just hate the... um the tension between Patrick Dempsey and um, Ellen Pape, that's probably a bad word, tension, because basically she knew that she was being paid less than Patrick and she 
like said to him, hey, like, let's bring this up to like, let's bring this up at the next meeting. Like, this could be great for both of us, you know, if we team up together, because like, obviously, it's bad if one of us leaves the show. But if we both promise to leave the show, then they're gonna have to like pay both of us more. And he just was not having any of that. You you hear about stories of like casts that go in together for negotiating and refuse to. Um, they say they'll all quit if you don't raise everybody's salary and stuff like that. And it's um, it's pretty disappointing to hear that he wasn't willing to negotiate with her. This all goes to show, really, that I mean, with any industry that you're in, there's this secrecy around what people are getting paid, um, and especially there's this um, pattern of women being afraid to ask for more. Uh, because they don't think they'll deserve it. I think they'll get shot down or something like that. And so the lessons here to ask for really what you think you deserve or like 10% more maybe and have them haggle you down. It there's, these are business tactics that apparently people use pretty successfully. Um, and to talk about what you're making with your coworkers and find out if you're actually making the same thing. And also another thing that I want to point out is just like, again, with this whole idea of this being a, inter-industry problem um the fact that it's been shown in some studies that when you're applying for jobs if like for example say there are five prereqs um women will only apply to the job if they have like at least four of the prereqs and sometimes they won't even apply unless they have all five prereqs and meanwhile guys will apply if they have like two yeah, my philosophy for the job search is to just apply to everything um, because if I they don't like me then they won't hire me but there's no skin off my nose. Well, you say that after you've written a few cover letters. Yeah, no, I this, I say that now. So in a month, I won't apply to anything anymore because I'll be like, no, no more. I am done. I am putting my foot down. If anyone wants to hire me, call me. <laughs> Slend my DMs. <laughs> And that's going to be all from us today. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM. You can also find us online at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where there's a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me. Ugh, always a pleasure. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our Mixed Feelings. <laughs>